Welcome back to the Para Sports Nutrition Podcast. My name is Liz Broad and I'm an accredited sports dietitian. Today I have um, with me, um, and I'm very pleased to have with me, I should say, uh, Dr. Danielle McCartney, and she is a dietitian. She is also the clinical research associate at the Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics at the University of Sydney. That's a lot to get out in one 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 sentence. Um, welcome, Danielle. Well, uh, thanks, Liz. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, cannabinoid therapeutics is a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, much easier to say CBD. <laughs> um, tell us about your background, Danielle. Um, so I studied nutrition and dietetics uh, up at Griffith University on the Gold Coast back in, ooh, I want to say, maybe I started in 2014 or something like that. And then I went straight from my um, dietetics degree into, uh, which was a master's degree, into my PhD. Um, and I studied that under uh, Chris Irwin and Ben Desbrook, who I believe you've recently had on your show. Um, and my PhD, I guess, uh, focused on sports nutrition and different nutritional strategies to uh, optimize recovery after exercise. Um, and once I completed my PhD, I actually got offered a, a clinical research position at the Lambert Initiative for Cannabinoid Therapeutics, which is within the University of Sydney. And so I made a fairly um, large jump from dietetics and sports nutrition into uh, cannabinoid science. Um, and over the last sort of couple of years, gradually started to um, wrap my head around the area. Cool. And so you've been you were the lead author of a recent narrative review on cannabidiol and sports performance um can you tell us what cannabidiol is and how that's different to cannabis yeah so cannabidiol or as you mentioned earlier cbd is a cannabinoid that is found in the cannabis plant uh, and the cannabis plant actually contains many, many, many different cannabinoids. I think um, the last number I heard was a total of 140. Uh, and so it's just one <laughs> of many. Um, but it's a little bit, uh, I guess, uh, maybe not totally unique, but I guess it differs from other cannabinoids in that it is non-intoxicating um, and doesn't elicit any sort of really pronounced kind of psychoactive effects or anything like that, like you might get from cannabis uh, and from the other major cannabinoid that is THC. So, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> CBD. Okay. So what effects does CBD have on our body? Uh, okay, so we're still learning a lot about how CBD exerts its physiological effects. Um, we know a lot more about how THC, the psychoactive cannabinoid, acts on the body. Um, but like I said, there's, there's still a lot to, to find out about CBD. In terms of uh, I guess the overall kind of behavioral outcomes of its uh, mechanistic effects. We know that um, some clinical trials have shown that CBD is anxiolytic, so um, it has uh, anti-anxiety effects. There's some clinical trials coming out showing that it is antipsychotic and might have utility in the treatment of uh, schizophrenia. Um, and probably the condition that there's the most um, so far. Uh, the most scientific evidence for so far is CBD's anticonvulsant effects. Um, and and um, one particular CBD product, Epidiolex, has uh, now been approved for uh, use in the treatment of intractable epilepsies in Australia. So those, okay. yeah, so those are probably the conditions that CBD um, 
is, uh, I guess, the effects of CBD that are most well established. There are other studies coming out um, and that have been coming out for a little while, looking at um, all that have shown uh, anti-inflammatory effects and um, analgesic effects, so anti-pain effects, as well as neuroprotective effects. Um, But most of those findings are so far based on uh, preclinical studies, so studies in animals primarily. Okay, so they haven't done a lot of human research in that area That's yet. That's right, yes. Because if we look at para-athletes in particular, um, we have a lot of athletes who experience neuropathic pain, such as those with spinal cord injuries and acquired brain injuries and also phantom limb pain. So do you think CBD has the potential to help with them? The preclinical evidence would suggest possibly. So there are a number of preclinical studies, and whenever I say that, I'm usually talking about um, studies of the laboratory animals. Uh, So preclinical studies have shown beneficial effects of CBD in neuropathic pain. But as you say, there hasn't really been um, uh, much, there haven't been any RCTs, to my knowledge, looking at the effects of CBD on neuropathic pain in humans. There have been a small number of RCTs, uh, randomised controlled trials, looking at CBD and other forms of pain. So there are a few studies that have done different experimental models of pain um, where, for example, the cold, cold presser test, people have to put their hand in a bucket of ice water or something like that. And, you know, it, it, the idea is that it induces pain and you can see if you can counteract it. But mm-hmm. those studies haven't really seen any effects of CBD so far. So we really need the, I think, the more... Um, targeted studies looking specifically at neuropathic pain before we can draw too many conclusions. And I know that that research is is in progress. Uh, I know that the Lambert is involved in a trial at the moment looking at CBD in patients with spinal cord injury and uh, chronic pain, and I think those findings will be really interesting. Yeah, for sure. We'll have to keep an eye out for that because obviously that cold presser test, like sticking your hand in a bucket of ice water, is a very temporary source of pain, whereas the neuropathic pain is a much more chronic source of pain. Um, so, yeah, I think they're quite different mechanistically, aren't they? That's exactly right. Yeah, the, um, the spinal cord injury study will be will be really interesting. I know that they're um, planning a lot of brain imaging components to that as well, so they're interested in mapping that, some of the pathways and looking at that how CBD influences those. So, I mean, I guess the fact that a study like that is going forward tells us that there, that there is certainly, um, the preclinical evidence is certainly showing promise in terms of CBD's effects in neuropathic pain, but we're not at a stage yet where um, we can certainly, we, we can make any recommendations about using it or, or not using it either. Okay, so tell us a little bit more then about the anti-anxiety side of things, because again, we have a number of para-athletes who experience anxiety in a number of ways, but also um, athletes who may have PTSD, so post-traumatic stress syndrome. Is there any evidence in PTSD or is it mostly around the anxiety side of things? Mostly around the anxiety uh, at this stage, but I know that there are case reports and case series looking at PTSD and it's certainly something that I think a lot of people are interested in. Um, Anxiety... Uh, more specifically, I guess, has actually been researched not not super thoroughly, but reasonably well. We do have quite a few clinical trials on CBD and anxiety now, and the results are quite promising, which which is you know, nice to see. Um, mm. Mostly, these studies have done uh, sort probably yeah the majority of the clinical trials looking at CBD and anxiety have 
used uh, healthy individuals where they've induced um, experimental anxiety. So they'll put them up in front of a, I don't know, um, simulated, or they'll help them do a simulated public speaking test and things like that. And um, then they'll give them acute dose, an acute dose of CBD and see what happens. And, and most of those studies have observed beneficial effects. But what's really good now is we're starting to see uh, more research coming out in the actual patient populations, populations with social anxiety disorder and things like that. And the effects are also promising. So um, second, probably to epilepsy, anxiety is probably one of the things that we have the most evidence or, yeah, probably second to anxiety, the most evidence around CBD's um, therapeutic potential. Okay, cool. And if we think a little bit more in terms of an athlete, is there any research around uh, athletic performance per se uh, with CBD is it, or is it more along that anti-inflammatory sort of impact? Yeah, so um, as you say, we, we did work on a um, and publish a narrative review in this area a little while ago now and it was a bit of an unusual narrative review because there weren't any studies looking at CBD in sp- sports performance at the time, which um, normally, you know, that's kind of a requirement to write a review. But we, do, <laughs> we drew a lot on preclinical studies and um, evidence from clinical trials involving non-athlete populations. And so we were able to sort of have a bit of a guess at what might be worth investigating further. Um, and so we did identify a few different things and that prompted us to undertake a trial that we've called Can Run. <laughs> and it was a very small sort of exploratory trial looking at the effects of CBD on various different aspects of exercise physiology and um, things like that. And basically the whole idea here was that we'd identified all these potential applications for CBD in sport, but we didn't know what CBD might do to exercise physiology. And we wanted to find out, well, if, is it having any effects that might, you know, uh, make it difficult to use CBD in and around sport and that that kind of thing. And the paper's still under review, so I won't go into too much detail, but it will be one of the first to, to look at this, I think, if not the first. And and I think what we, we, we found a couple of different things. The first thing that we probably note is that there was no evidence of CBD sort of being overtly impairing or, or anything like that in terms of aerobic exercise performance, which gives us some confidence that it can be used within this context, which is really nice. And then we did see some initial effects on things like oxygen consumption, um, ratings of enjoyment during exercise and inflammation that we think are worthy of further research. So yeah, like I said, I won't go into too much uh, detail right now, yeah. but um, I think that we'll, take- we'll stay tuned for a manuscript to come out. <laughs> the take-home message is that, yeah, there's opportunity to use it here and that's that's basically the data we've got to go on at the moment. There are two other studies I'm aware of that are original studies looking at CBD and um, I think both of them are recovery post-exercise. I think non-invasive measures of, of muscle damage, so ratings of soreness and um, some functional sort of things. And I think they used both used quite low doses of CBD and didn't report any effects. So um, that's, that's basically the scope of the literature at the moment. We've got about three studies to work with. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, not a lot. So I guess talking about dose and also potentially side effects, Do are there any negative side effects that we're aware of with CBD when you look at the studies that have been done even in anxiety and epilepsy? And second to that, 
what is the recommended dose? Do we know what that dose should be? Yeah, so um, CBD has actually demonstrated a really quite good safety profile. Um, it doesn't seem to consistently uh, elicit, if, if it elicits any adverse effects, they, they seem to be mild in nature. Some things like, sometimes things like gastrointestinal upset um, and things like that have been reported. Sometimes you'll see in the large epilepsy trials uh, that sedation is reported, but this doesn't seem to be a problem in healthy individuals. And what we think is going on is that the CBD is that CBD has a tendency to interact with an anticonvulsant drug called clobazam. And what it seems to do to clobazam is increase plasma, uh, plasma clobazam concentrations. And clobazam, we know, is sedative. So we have a feeling that uh-huh. yeah, so CBD is sort of sometimes said to be sedative, but it seems to be a drug interaction more than an effect of CBD. Where it's, pot- where it's potentiating the effect of that medication. That's exactly right. And so that is... That yep. probably brings us to the main, uh, if any, main condi- main concern around CBD is its capacity to interact with other drugs. So what CBD does like to do is inhibit certain enzymes involved in drug metabolism because it takes priority. Um, and in doing mm-hmm. so, it, uh, it it can interfere with, with how the other drugs are being handled. So overall, it's demonstrated really good safety profile, but yeah, how it interacts with other things is probably still uh, all the main main question mark. Okay. In terms of dosing, so what we've seen is uh, the, the trials that are published um, out there at the moment have used a really wide range of doses. So the highest dose, to my knowledge, that's been investigated is 6,000 milligrams, which is a lot. And I mean, the good thing was that nobody reported any adverse events at 6,000 milligrams. So we know that it's safe at those high doses, but I don't think anybody can afford them. Um, But then (laughs) you look at the products that are sold over the counter and online um, in places like the US and Europe, and some of them will contain like 10 megs of CBD per dose. So we've got this really wide spectrum and we're still working on figuring out exactly where CBD's uh, I guess what dose um, elicits the, the therapeutic effects with CBD. We did do a little bit of a, uh, myself and some colleagues at the Lambert did do a bit of a review in this area recently. We pulled together all the studies that have looked at um, the effects of basically lower doses of CBD. So anything between, I guess, up from zero to 400 milligrams, um, either per day or in, in one dose. And what we tended to find was once you got to 300 milligrams and above, we were pretty consistently seeing effects on things like anxiety that we know um, are, are sensitive to CBD. Below 300 milligrams, we weren't seeing a lot of effects, but what we did find was that there just weren't many studies at those dose ranges as well. So we do need probably a, a better, you know, a little bit more work in and around the, the low-dose CBD space. Yep. But that's obviously pretty relevant if you've got common products that are being sold that are only 10 milligrams so you'd have to have 30 doses of that a day to hit that 300 milligram mark which obviously not anyone's going to do that's right in australia um, the tga late last year made the decision to down schedule low dose cbd products so they'll be available over the counter at pharmacies here soon and the TGA set a limit of 150 milligrams per day. So um, in Australia, that's sort of the, if you're going to get it over the counter, that is the highest dose that you're, you're going to be able to get at this stage. Okay. 
but you can potentially get it on prescription at a higher dose or is that and that's how they're regulating it that's right yeah so doses less than 150 milligrams uh, per day i suppose um, will be considered schedule three cbd and available over the counter at pharmacies in australia anything higher than that will be considered schedule four which all cbd is currently really considered schedule four um, which basically means that you require a doctor's prescription so that's kind of the distinguishing main distinguishing feature okay so if we stay with the theme of athletes in 2018 wada took cbd or cannabidiol off the banned substance list but thc remains banned in competition and i believe other forms of cannabinoids are also remain as banned substances in competition how certain can we be that our cbd products are free of thc not contaminated or not containing any traces of thc that may make an athlete test positive yeah it's a um it's an important question as you say with water um, removing CBD and CBD only, THC has remained to be a threshold substance. So athletes can have, I think, below 150 nanograms per mil of THC in blood and urine. I think that's right. And uh, the other cannabinoids are really the, the big trick in that they say, or that our understanding of the WADA guidelines is that you're not allowed any of any other cannabinoids in your system. So the THC is almost, <laughs> it's almost less of a problem than the other cannabinoids. Than the others. Yeah, it's, it's really yep. tricky. But anyway, um, in terms of the products that are available, if I start with maybe the, the Australian context, so we've got a bit of a different situation in Australia than I think um, is sort of happening in other places in the world and that we have mainly prescribed CBD and will soon have over-the-counter pharmacy CBD. And the products that are prescribed and that will soon become available over-the-counter at pharmacies in Australia should, uh, they're all regulated by the TGA and they should meet the same um, specifications that other Schedule 4 medications and Schedule 3 medications are required to meet. So my expectation would be that those products, if they say in any way, shape or form that they don't contain THC or other cannabinoids, they shouldn't contain THC or other cannabinoids. Um, whether they actually say that or not, though, is, is really the key. If it doesn't say that, then don't, I wouldn't be assuming necessarily. Yep. In contrast, <laughs> uh, over in the US and Europe and things like that, they obviously have this over-the-counter ability to buy CBD over-the-counter and online and things like that. And um, there have been studies looking at contaminants in those products um, and also just the CBD concentration of those products. Um, and a lot of instances have been found firstly to contain not the, amount of TA, uh, not the amount of CBD that they're advertised to contain, so often less CBD than what is on the label. And they can also contain THC. And in some instances, they've found other contaminants in there, um, some potents. I've heard of one instance of a potent synthetic cannabinoid being found and they're just things that you even if they were on thing you just don't want to touch so yeah I suppose yeah that there's no good way I guess of determining at the moment how some of those uh, or exactly what is in some of those products it's not particularly well re um, regulated to my knowledge but so it's much like the dietary supplements industry. There's very little regulation and a lot of new products coming out making outlandish claims with no one really being able to check them. That's my understanding, yeah. I'm not as across sort of the US and European context, but that's, yeah, I know that those papers have shown contaminants, so that's, that's never a good sign. No, no, definitely not. And so 
what research are you currently doing? So you mentioned that you've just done a research project on exercise physiology, I guess is the best way of describing that. What what other research have you got in the pipeline? Um, so we're planning Can Run 2. <laughs> Um, so Can Run 1 was a very small um, pilot study and so based on the findings that were our, our initial results, we'd like to do a fully powered trial of that um, and I have a PhD, a PhD student at the moment who's, who's working on setting that up, so that's pretty exciting. We've got a bit of interest in, I think a lot of people have interest in this, in CBD and concussion and so we're sort of poking around that area a little bit at the moment. Um, as I mentioned, some other people at the Lambert, or the Lambert is involved in a project involving other people and not me, um, is doing some stuff in spinal cord injury and CBD, and I think that project would be really interesting. Um, and other than that, I actually do quite a bit of work in cannabis and driving, which um, is sort of a step away from sports nutrition and all of that kind of thing, but it's a really interesting area because it brings with it a lot of regulatory challenges and there, there are problems with current systems of regulating cannabis impaired driving and particularly for medicinal cannabis users. But um, I won't, won't bore you too much with that. <laughs> <laughs> but as you say, it's a bit of a step away from sports nutrition or nutrition and dietetics. So you, you feel like you've still got some of those skills have been useful in, in coming into the research that you're doing? I guess maybe more from the sports sort of side of things where you know you do sort of see these unregulated nutraceutical type products and you know they do kind of fall a little bit under that same banner as the supplements that you see in the in the sporting space as, as you say um, but yeah I've had to <laughs> pick up a new a few new skills along the way <laughs> <laughs> widen your cv <laughs> yeah well great Danielle um I guess if you had an athlete come and ask you, which is something that I've had regularly, I've had conversations with para-athletes around pain, pain management, because um, it has an ongoing af aspect in terms of nutrition impact on eating strategies and things like that. If someone came to you who was an athlete and wanted to try CBD, what would you recommend to them? So if we're, if we're in Australia for this question, <laughs> yeah. Put it in an Australian context. <laughs> um, I'd probably recommend that they talk to their GP. So in Australia, doctors can prescribe medicinal cannabis, including CBD products under their uh, special schemes. There are special pathways by which they can do that. And so uh, I think the, the doctor, uh, the GP or the, the specialist, whoever they've, you know, whoever they've gone to see would probably have the best insights to that. But the you probably need to advise the athlete. I mean, the GP is not going to have a good handle on water regulations and things like that. So you need to inform the athlete that this is what they need to find out about the products that are available and, and that what, you know, might be prescribed to them. So, yeah, I suppose that's that would be important information for the dietitian or coach or whoever else is involved here to, to communicate with the athlete. And do we, do we know how long the CBD, seeing as it's, you know, the other components are banned in competition, how long does it stay in your system for? Like if someone was to say, oh, I want to try it but I'm and I'm in the early phase of training so I'm not competing for another month, yeah. is that long enough to have the other components out of your system? Yes. Yeah, so um, if you, as you say, were using a CBD product that contained a small amount of THC, 
THC, both THC and CBD have this unbelievable capacity to hang around in your system for prolonged periods of time. Um, but that effect is more pronounced with CBD because we tend to use higher doses. Nobody's going to, nobody ever should use 6,000 6, milligrams of THC. That would be pretty disastrous. Because THC is usually used in much lower doses, and obviously if it's a contaminant, it's only present at low concentrations, it should wash out within a reasonable amount of time. So um, there are studies looking at what they often do is take regular cannabis users and withdraw them from cannabis and then measure things like their urinary cannabinoids and plasma cannabinoids over time to see how long they persist. So they're not, you know, they're usually a fairly uh, they're usually a population that's taking in fairly high doses of THC. And in most instances, I think, from what I understand, THC washes out of blood within about seven days. But if you're a very heavy user, that can take a month. So I would think that at contaminant sort of concentrations, you're probably okay within seven days. But I mean, we haven't really done the we haven't done the study to show exactly how long those low concentrations take to wash out. But I guess when you also consider that there's a threshold for THC, you probably you're probably comfortably under it within that sort of time frame. So, yeah. okay. And if you had practitioners like other sports dietitians or physiologists who uh, again had questions around CBD what would your recommendations be for them? Um, That's a good question I'm not sure what educational sort of opportunities exist I know that sometimes the Lambert do put together, you know, educational sort of things for various different professionals. Um, we have a pharmacist in our clinical team at the moment who's putting together a presentation and an information session for, for pharmacists and preparing them for the introduction of Schedule 3 cannabidiol in Australia. Um, but I guess, uh, you know, beyond that, it's not, not something we do a lot of. I know that there are courses available for GPs to upskill in their knowledge around medicinal cannabis. But at this stage, yeah, to my knowledge, there's fairly limited options for other health professionals, unfortunately. Okay. It's something we need to take a look at. <laughs> well, I'll probably direct them to your uh, narrative review, <laughs> firstly, um, and then keep an eye out for more research that's coming out. But to be aware, obviously, of the fact that it's only CBD that's been taken off the water ruling and there can be a lot of cross-contamination, particularly outside of Australia where there's a lack of regulation. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the interesting, interesting spot to watch, I know WADA have come out and said that they're doing a review of cannabis's position on the prohibited list ne- uh, this year, next year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the, the result of that is. If it comes out that there's a change, it'll make things a lot easier for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I don't I actually don't think that there's any products that are test, third party tested for banned substances either um, at this point in time. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, I always like to ask my guests, "What's your favourite food?" So, Danielle, what's your favourite food? I really don't have one. Dietitian, <laughs> <laughs> is it? No, no. Most dietitians I know are foodies and and have particular. Um, it can be a treacherous territory to go into when you're interacting with other dietitians who love their food. Yeah, so, it's just the, you know, pressure of someone asking me that it's fallen out of my brain. I'll probably think about it as soon as I leave. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> Not a problem. Well, thank you, Danielle, very much for your insight and for your explanation around this very 
interesting topic. I think it, it elicits a lot of interesting responses and intrigued, uh, certainly in the in the para space, they're intrigued about what potential there is because they've seen products make lots of claims around pain in particular, but also anxiety. So thank you for answering some of those questions um, and for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Liz. I think Danielle has highlighted the fact that we have very little scientific research available to guide practitioners and to guide athletes in using CBD either for sports performance or even for chronic pain and PTSD components. I think the interesting thing is we still don't really understand the best dose and we still don't understand the best way of utilising the product and yet there's so much out on the market in countries outside of Australia in particular. But I think it's really interesting and we'll keep watching this space. Um, Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Please share them with your social media platform. Uh, We'd also love some feedback or to hear about topics of interest to you. I hope you'll join us next time where we talk to Adam Bleakney, the head para track and field coach at the University of Illinois, one of the best wheelchair track and field programs in the world.